This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Many of us strive for career diversity, and my guest this week has ticked several impressive boxes. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by leading TV personality, prolific writer, artist, and social commentator, Gretel Colleen. The essence of a household name, Gretel shares more about her bold career path, talks about her new book, My Daughter's Wedding, and her vision for a better Australia. So Gretel Colleen, writer, artist, social and political commentator, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Gretel, I was looking at your long list of achievements, uh, because I always do a bit of research before these conversations, and I thought we'd start with talking about your writing. Now, you have written a ton of books, um, but I reckon it's not necessarily how people first think about you because you've got such a big TV personality. So tell me when you started writing and what you write about. Oh, I first wrote my first book when I was about five or six. Um, No, yeah, like really, really, really young. Um, I'd always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I think writing is fantastic. I like exploring my imagination, and it's a, it's the way. I think a lot of us need someone to communicate with, and often that person is actually ourselves. And because you are as bright as yourself, you are as funny as yourself, you share the same sense of humour. So if you can find a way to communicate with yourself, it's actually very meditative. And if you have an imagination, it's exciting. So I've got a book out now, which is My Daughter's Wedding, and that uses the imagination but also follows the notion of mother-daughter love, which I think is fascinating. And, I mean, in terms of leadership, which is one thing that, of course, Women's Agenda is is fascinated by and and rightly so but as a mum you are a leader and so it's a, it's an interesting pinpoint there because you can also never leave you're in this relationship where you're you're bonded through your heart through every cell in your body draws you to protect this person but um often the mother daughter relationship can be full of passion and love and then fraught like fighting you know fighting sisters and uh, I wanted to explore that you, you have written a lot. I mean, you've written a lot of books um, uh, and you know, you've been writing for, like you said, you wrote your first book since you were five. You've also written for um, newspapers. Um, you know, you've written um, uh, for television as well. Tell me a little bit about your writing process. Is it easy? Is it hard? How do you approach it? I think that some writers uh, write with their brains and it's a little bit like getting blood out of a stone. I write from my heart, which uh, particularly when I'm writing fiction, when I'm writing for a newspaper or whatever, I have to write from my head and it's a far more laborious process. When I write from my heart, which is far more being in tune with waking up very early while my subconscious is still active, uh, it's a really exciting process. I hate the physicality of sitting down and not moving, but to me it's extraordinary because I never know what's going to happen. I, it's, it, to me the only way I can explain it is it's like I have all these radio stations in my mind at once and I tune into whichever one I want to and then it plays and I write down what happens. Then afterwards I put it together a bit more logically but it's as exciting for me as it is for someone reading it because I don't know what's going to happen. You're also, I mean we're talking here about your writing but you're also a painter um, and I actually looked at some of your art um, before this and I really loved it. I, and, and, and I guess what I thought about it, it's very big, it's very vibrant, lots and lots of floral. Um, I particularly liked um, two of your paintings that are up on your website, Blue Day and Gone Fishing. Um, 
it says there that you only started painting in 2019, so two minutes ago, really. So, so, so tell me how and, and what, how, how and why you started painting. Well, when you, when you work in an industry like I do, uh, it, you must be across a whole lot of things. So I was a voice artist for 17 years. I've hosted television. I do stand-up comedy. I've acted. As you mentioned, I'm a journalist and also a, a novelist. And that is because you never know what's – well, one, I love exploring life and I think our reason for being is to discover who we are and that means exploring every possible trait and talent or lack thereof that we may have – but the other one is that you really have to juggle a lot in what I do. You have to be very, very flexible. So I'd always wanted to paint. As with many women, I thought I didn't have permission to. You know how, oh, I haven't gone to art school or I haven't done an acting course or I haven't done my MBA. I don't have permission, therefore, to be who I am. Uh, and then the fires came at the end of 2019 and we were not meant to go out because of the air quality in Sydney, let alone the terrible air quality with the poor people actually in the fires. And so I started painting during that time. And uh, and then COVID came and so then we were in lockdown, so painting was fabulous. And I can't do that and write at the same time, so I have to do one and then the other and then the other because I, I just get lost so much in what it is that I'm working on but the easier one is painting don't tell anyone but it is for me it's easier because it's more physical and fun mm. um, I did some research by looking at your website um, and, and one of the observations I would make is you don't necessarily on that website make a huge big deal of your career which you know you had a really big t tv career is that deliberate or is that you know are you are you chain, trying to change the way that people perceive you no, I'm not trying to, to uh, do you know what? I hadn't even noticed it. I've been on television since I was I, in my early 20s. So it's always been in my life. And, um, and it, it just, those opportunities come. Some of them I've created, but most have come to me. And maybe I'm just familiar with, I don't know, just familiar with it. And I guess... That's very, very different when something comes to you and you make the most of it and something is created by you in my mind. Like I, I see myself uh, as an artist more, and I don't mean a painter, I mean I have an artist spirit and that's a particular kind of freedom-loving, adventurous person, probably comes with some frailties and vulnerabilities and huge failings as well, but but that is what I identify with. So not as a businesswoman, uh, not necessarily as someone in the media, because my television appearances have been so different, sometimes comedy, sometimes political commentary. They're, they're quite different, but I hadn't actually noticed it. Thank you for pointing that out. Oh, well, it's always interesting when someone else looks at you, I think. Um, Talking of that TV career, now, I mean, I know you've had a very wide and varied TV career and, you know, you talked about sort of starting in 20s. Um, certainly, I guess my perception is that Big Brother was is the thing you're best known for and that was your that was your big breakthrough. Is that the way that you see it? No, and I think sometimes um, we have... We have a strange expectation of life. We don't really, so many people say things, for example, like, um, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Um, and they don't realise that they're actually already doing it. Everything we've done before is leading us to the point we're at now. And what we do now will lead us to the next one. So even though Big Brother was uh, dominant, 
to for many people because it, it was the time when the whole nation tuned into a particular show. If I hadn't done all the things prior to that, being on Beauty and the Beast, being on the big gig on the Ray Martin show, doing stand-up comedy, writing, because I wrote a, co-wrote a lot of the scripts for Big Brother as well. If I hadn't done all of those, I wouldn't have been able to do that job. So it was actually the culmination of those qualities. There was a, I think probably if I hadn't been a mother as well, I wouldn't have been able to connect to those people. Not that it's just my personal thing. It made me more emotionally connected to be a mum um, and maybe that allowed me to feel for people differently. I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a mum to be like that, but for me, prior to having children, I was more inhibited. So anyway, all of those qualities came together. But there's a, I think we don't have a realistic understanding of life too, that you don't arrive even when you're perceived as hugely successful. There are so many people I know who might be perceived as that and are absolutely hollow inside and fearful and anxious that they're going to lose that moment of power. Um, the very few people I know actually go, you know what, I'm happy with where I am. And it, that comes with age, but we don't realise that it's a whole journey. It's not just the the Polaroid snapshot, you know, of this is success and that's where, you know, it's not like the perfect weight. You know, you can't maintain it. It's all inside your head. So I, I just want to explore that a little bit because you're right in terms of that snapshot of time because I remember watching the first Big Brother. I was in the UK at the time when it came out um, and it was almost like a bit of a, it seemed like a sociological experiment and people took it quite seriously. I remember that first series. Were you surprised at how the genre took off? Oh, do you know, I have no objectivity about it really because we were, it had never been done in the country before and we were all hurtled into this crazy world. Um, I think, I mean, that's been my whole career, has been looking at characters and understanding motivations and, and storylines. So to me it was a natural fit. Um, it was a really interesting experience and it was wonderful for us as a society to be able to discuss things that we hadn't discussed before the way people related within a house, what we thought of of their behaviour. It was, at the very beginning, it was really it was really interesting and I think it was an anthropological study. I think that was a really precious thing that we had. It's a, all a very different beast now, but I think we're, I mean, television aside, I think our whole world is in a confused space at the moment and trying to find order and control by imposing it on things whether it's television or news or job structures or whatever our, our governments are imposing. But I think we're not realising within a society that it's all inside us to work out our own value system. And, and you know, I just think we've got off the path a little bit as a society. And how do you think we get back on the path? I think having leadership that are represented in all facets and that's in business as well. I think I think there's just too much reliance on figures and procedure and there's not enough on instinct and absolutely delving deep into who you are and I think there are far too many structures that allow people to hide and encourage people not to take responsibility for their actions. And one of the interesting things in the world where 
I live, where people are putting on shows, writing books, putting those out there, whatever their creativity is. And what we're all business people. People tend who are in business tend to dismiss that. They don't realise that actually every time we do a show, it's like a startup. Every time we invest in a script, it's actually we're investing in an asset. We we have we have to get investors. We have to get structure. We don't. I think sometimes we're dismissed as not being business people, but actually we totally are. And we're right at the coalface and we can spend two years, five years, seven years working on something that never gets up and it takes tremendous grit and and determination and discipline. So so we are business people and and I think from that perspective, I've got an understanding to some degree of what of where leadership needs to come from the innovation of it and the strength that's required so so where do I think it comes from encouraged from the top and I think it could be changed with the click of a finger but it's the opposite way to where we're going at the moment but why do you think that is and and I'd like to sort of tie that question into the current environment if you like so we've been through this once in a lifetime um, uh, event of the pandemic do you see that changing things I mean are you hopeful for what's going to come out of this I think that a lot of people will possibly forget this experience. It'll become um, a story for a lot of people Um, in our society. I can't speak globally. There have been so many people whose lives have been impacted so badly. Um, It won't necessarily be our last pandemic. Hopefully we'll get the wake-up call. Um, I would like things to change, but the powers that are controlling the trajectory at the moment are very, very strong. And and the dollar is, that's seen as justification for a tremendous amount of appalling behaviour, disregard for our each other and also disregard for the environment. If you can make a dollar out of it, then somehow that's okay. Until we can adjust that, see that we are just tiny weeny little cogs and we have a responsibility to make the world better and certainly not leave it worse than we found it. Uh, until that changes, um, I think we're on a bad path. What was the experience of the pandemic like for you? For me, it's been interesting because I've always raced around like a headless chook and I had to calm down a bit and that allowed me to dig more deeply, for example, into the book that I've written. Uh, so I think that got many layers deeper because of the time because a lot of our shows were cancelled and corporate gigs. I did public speaking and hosting, whatever, so they went. Um, so it allowed me to get deeper in there to realise how much fluff there is in so many of our lives. What fascinated me with the first lockdown we had was how many people felt relieved to not have to be somewhere, to not have to socialise and to actually look at our own lives and think, wow, there was so much in my life that I was doing because I was obliged to not necessarily because I wanted to, and now I have an excuse not to do it. So hopefully people will have an awareness of that. And also the thing is that in life we all go through different chapters in the different decades of our own lives. We seek different things. In my decade now, it's calmness, but the previous previous decades have been chaotic and intense now the mere thought of living like that just makes me think oh I don't want to now I want to smell the roses and plant really beautiful things not just 
bedlam. So one thing I want to get, like you have a very successful career spanning lots of different strands. For people listening to this, you know, who are thinking about their career and how to build it up, what's your advice to them? How do you build a successful career in the way that you have? I think, as we touched on earlier, it's, it's seeing an opportunity is, is a really important thing. It's a way of seeing. It's a critical way of thinking and viewing the world. Seeing an opportunity and seizing it. So seeing an opportunity requires, as I said, analysis and assessment of the environment around you. Seizing it requires self-confidence and bravery. And as we all know for women, uh, we're far more likely to be reluctant to put ourselves forward. To achieve things, you've got to step forward. And I think an underlying philosophy to help with that is to think why you're actually here in the world and it's to discover who you are. And I think also if you can like yourself, life is a lot easier. And I know that's not a simple thing for many of us to do, but it's better to put yourself forward. It's better to offer notions at the table and ideas if you're actually your own friend rather than your own enemy, which I think a lot of women are. We, we treat ourselves the way we wouldn't treat our arch enemy and that's the conversation we put in our heads. Why did I say such a stupid thing? Pause, look at yourself. Do you like who you are? What are your qualities? Are you a good person? Are you a kind person? Are you an honest person? They're admirable things. And I think also if I could say a final thing, it's, it's look at life through real eyes. Everyone's not out to get you. Look at it through real eyes, understand that basically we're animals and we're all out on the savannah. Some are out to kill you, but others want to play with you. They're the ones to find, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, when I started this conversation, I said, you know, writer, artist, social and political commentator. Um, I mean, you're often on uh, in the media sharing your views and you took part in the show, Go Back to Where You Came From. What currently gets you hot under the collar, do you think, around sort of both social and political issues? I think um, I think that I think the lack of moral code, I think that a moral code is crucial. Um, most religions and philosophies have this notion of what is your, actually your compass? What's the value system by which you judge things? And, and as we touched on before, money is seen as justification for anything. And I think that that is really impeding the level of mental health in our society, the level of happiness, familial relationships, and I think it's a really short-term goal. So that frustration to me is that it's a hollow, hollow goal. And I think, I think that if we could genuinely bring back the heart and understand that we all flourish with generosity and compassion and if we stopped going into these let's do an investigative um, analysis of so-and-so's behavior in the office let's just look at it is it right is it wrong would you do that to somebody how do you want to be treated let's bring back to a human level rather than the way we're doing it at the moment which I think is it's not a path to happiness and I do genuinely think that being kind to others, it opens doors in your life because it opens your heart and it opens your mind and you radiate something different. And one of the beautiful things about being in the arts is we're very, very familiar with the swings and roundabouts of life. Unlike a lot of people in the proclaimed business world, 
we will do a favour for someone or suggest someone else for a show when there's nothing in it for us. But we know ultimately it will come back to us in a different way because that's the swings and roundabouts. And I think if we had more of the generosity of spirit as a culture and a better vision, I think we need heart, spirituality and moral compass. And and I think that that would ironically be economically more productive for the country as well. Gretel, one thing I'm thinking about with you, um, and as I say that, I don't know if you noticed the thunder that's there in the background. There is a big storm coming as we record this. The, the thing I think when I'm listening to you, it's about reflection and with the use of reflection as a tool. Um, my favourite saying is by John Dewey, the educator, who says, we learn not through experience, but through reflection on experience. Um, if I described you like that to people, would that resonate with you? Yes, I thank you. I think I think it does. Um, I think that gets back to the critical thinking notion. It's also, it is my nature to want to understand um, characters and motivation. Also, as a comic, I know that many times an experience will happen and will, you know, will happen to you and it's horrible, but you know with time it's going to be funny you might end up saying, so in life I've tried to reduce that time between the experience and when I find it funny, and that does require analysis. But one of my earliest obsessions has been the meaning of life. I was just born that way. So, um, yes, I do analyse things. I, of course, I mean, men accuse women, and I haven't been accused by a woman of this, but men so far that I think too much, I'm overthinking, but I think most women have been accused of that. Um, knowing when to stop analysing something is a, is a real plus. Um, but for me, understanding is a really important lesson, and it brings us back also to what we were saying before about how if our society could absorb the knowledge and reflection of times gone by, then we would be in a far better place now because it's all happened before. But we're so consumed with being busy, 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 and as we mentioned, the obsession of thinking we're the first generation to ever go through anything, that we don't stop and reflect. And I remember I remember years ago I had a phone bill, which kind of became a, a metaphor for the situation really, um, this phone bill was exorbitant and the reason it was so high was because I was too busy to think. I was too busy to find a better plan to work something out. And I think a lot of the time in our society we're so busy being busy that we don't stop and reflect and actually be clever about it. Yeah, it's interesting what you say. You know, I tell my daughter, I say everything you need to know about the future is in your history class because I love history and I want her to love history too. I'm going to ask you one last question because you, you, you brought up a big topic there and I can't leave it alone. You said you've always had an obsession with the meaning of life. So to you, what is the meaning of life? Well, the meaning of life, I think, is discovering who you are, what you're made of. I think all of us have a role in the world and I think the most important thing we can do is be that person that we are meant to be and that means hurtling away or hurling away all of the limitations of our society and actually fully being who you are and I think the braver you are the more capable you become to be braver and bigger and braver and bigger and braver and bigger and and it's it's exponential and exciting so I think I think it's about not hurting others 
It's about joy. That would be the final thing I would say. There's so much emphasis in our world on competition and one-upmanship and there's not nearly enough on being happy. It's a pretty miraculous existence and and allowing other people to be happier, whether that's by sharing what you have or money or thoughts or kindness. I think I think that would that aiming for a happier world that makes me sound a bit like Pollyanna, but that's what I think it is. I think we're off track and we've made it competitive and brutalistic. And it's actually a really beautiful existence and we should help those who need it. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Gretel Colleen. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to this series on your favourite podcast player and please leave us a rating. And to find out more from us, visit www.womensagenda.com.au. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.